0: Yes, indeed. Fifteen. Hello and welcome to episode fifteen of the fifteenth of July. 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 Podcast. Yes, indeed. Podcast.
1: <laughs> we did it.
0: This is the best accident that's happened to me since I was accidentally born. And I accidentally wet my bed. That was two days ago. My name's Brian Computer. And my name is Ben Zager. And we're going to talk to you about one board game and a bunch of video games.
1: (laughs) We're skewing.
0: Yeah, we always do this. Um, So today, though, it's going to be good. We're going to talk about uh, Pathfinder, the adventure card game, a bit more in depth. Uh, We've been playing it recently. It got its little tendrils around us again, and we can't get out. And then... We're going to talk about the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit, a game that is done by the people who did Life is Strange. You might have heard of them from us constantly Glowing. talking about them. <laughs> uh, State of Decay 2, which is a co-op survival zombie game that sounds like it would be terrible, but is actually very fun. And then we're going to talk about Florence, which is an awesome little iOS, like, yeah, like iPhone app that's got a really beautiful story and stuff. Then we're going to talk a bit of it again about Slay the Spire. Guess what? I've been playing more of that. And then we're going to talk about Yonder Cloudcatcher Chronicles.
1: Wander through Yonder. And ponder. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Tortured- the pizza, 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 a pizza, a pizza,
0: a pizza, a pizza, a pizza, 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 a pizza, pizza,
1: pizza, 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 pizza. pit a pit a pit a pit pizza pizza, the pit a pit a pit a the a pit
0: a pizza, a the a pit <laughs> It's like the putt without the putt.
1: It's like the putt without the ball. <laughs> it's like the short without the tall. Finding paths. It's it's uh, a little bit more glamorous than than just looking around for dirt on the ground. There are similar levels of grammar. <laughs> but specifically...
0: <laughs> <laughs> specifically... We're talking about Pathfinder. So Pathfinder, the adventure Adventure card game, game
1: is a kind of D and D light that's exclusively mechanics. It doesn't have any kind of acting, role playing stuff, Um, and it's it's about uh, kind of working as a team cooperatively to push your luck and uh, both get get good things, get loot, and then also. Uh, find bad things and every scenario has a villain that you're trying to corner and defeat and then you play lots of these little installments in a larger campaign
0: yeah so the game really gives you that sense of progression and living like you would in a bunch of the legacy games like pandemic legacy or risk legacy uh but in a way that it's like it's baked into the mechanics it doesn't feel like people had to redesign a game it seems like it had to be a part of the game to begin with yeah um and once you finish like a huge scenario with one of those people, they're forever in your hearts. Like Rage and The Rage and I had a character named Sajin who was Rage uh, and. recharge blessing. Also, uh, what are some, some of the other ones? Mary. Amiri. 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 Ah,
1: <laughs> and then uh, Meriziel. <laughs> we had fun. But so the, the, new, the new development is that uh, we have a wonderful new person who's living with us named hannah hannah and uh this is a, a three-player cooperative game you can play up to six players it's cooperative two to six games. um but we just we just started uh a new a new wave of excitement around it because we have a third person to play with and it it really struck me that there's like there's not a lot of great long-form three-player cooperative games out there board games or video games right um yeah I mean, we've—I don't think we've really talked about Max versus Minions, but that's great um, as a three-player cooperative game. It's also one of the only other ones that that are out there. And it's big and
0: it's—it's it's a lot bigger and clunkier, so it's harder to get to the table, and it's a bit more like, whoa, right when you see it. And I feel like Pathfinder is a lot more approachable. Yeah, which is probably why we suggested that we play it first with Hannah.
1: Definitely. Well, it's it's kind of top to bottom, very modular. You know, it's like you have these small piles of cards that you're trying to sift through and you have a character and you can tweak the number of people playing, which changes the number of locations. And you can play through one campaign arc, um, over the course of a couple of sit down sessions, or you can play many, many arcs, uh, over the course of many more sessions, or you can just play a one-off game and it's, It's got a similar level of engagement throughout, you know, like there's definitely an experience by the time you're in Adventure Path 4 where you've gotten this like nice ramp going and you have a lot of good, cool stuff to work with in your decks. Um, It's a deck builder. So you acquire stuff and then when you get a good thing, you keep it with your character for the rest of the game. And and that's and that like sense of of both the fact that it's very small in these little bite-sized packages where you're like, I'm going to go into this location. That's all I'm focusing on as well as the fact that it's this sprawling massive thing at the same time. That's an interesting dynamic that a lot of games don't have.
0: It's also, I mean, it's just insanely nice to be able to sit down and play a game and be, and know that it'll take no more than 45 minutes to do like one of the thing, Mm -hmm. which is really, really nice. And then, um, yeah. And then if you want to do more, you can.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, uh, I don't think we've really talked too much about quarterbacking on on the podcast before, but Pathfinder, we have well, so heard. quarterbacking. Yeah. it um for those who are
0: uninitiated, because it's kind of a like board gamey board game term. Because most people are like, <laughs> oh yeah,
1: the QB's on the field throws quick passes. Yeah, don't to worry, we're not linebacker. talking to
0: you about sports. That was <laughs> the QB rough. doesn't throw it to the linebacker. All right, so yeah. Quarterbacking, in, as it relates to board games, is when you're doing a thing as a team, and then you have one player telling another player what they should be doing, Yeah. varying levels of uh, like intensity. So a lot of times, the worst games are the ones where if you play Pandemic with someone who's new and someone who's played a ton before, then you have someone who goes, oh, well, you should totally do this. And if you don't do this, you're stupid. Right. And they're like, what were colors again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's really it's an it's an unfun experience for everyone because the person who was quarterbacking, you're basically just playing a solo game, right? And then the the person whose turn it is, just doesn't feel like they get to actually play the game because and, their decisions
1: are they don't have agency, right? And agency is so integral to feeling engaged by an interactive experience. You know, like if you if you feel like someone is just bossing around the whole time, like I know that I've heard lots of stories from people about. Um, partners of theirs or siblings of theirs or whoever that they'll they tried playing games with them and it was an awful experience because they were just told what to do the whole time and made fun of for not being good enough or whatever and that's like a really toxic environment to try to feel comfortable playing games and uh and anyway the the how this relates pathfinder is that i think that you know after a certain point there's a lot of Pathfinder that, you know, you and I have played enough of it that we have these these kind of, like, larger strategies that we usually implement, but at the same time, there's also a lot of randomization in it, and once you get kind of, like, some of the clunky vocab out of the way like, what does it mean to reveal a card versus to bury it, you know? Um, but after you get those, like, initial things, it's a lot of just, like, risk evaluation with dice, and even if you like are quote unquote good at the game, you can still roll all ones and then everyone thinks you're an idiot. So I have done that. It's funny to see, (laughs) it's funny to see your friends
0: fail in this particular fashion because it is kind of like when you, a lot of times when you take the roll, you're like, Oh great. Like I'm, I'm way better than coin flip. This will probably be fine. And then you roll and then you're not fine. And then that's like inherently it was your hubris that got you killed, which is great. Like you, you did a roll last night where you were like, I have this 12-sided die. I can roll two through 12 and be fine, as long right. as I don't roll a one. And then you picked up and then immediately rolled a one. Yeah. And then put your head in your hands, and we were all laughing
1: at you. It's true that happened. And there's also <laughs> moments where someone who who's less experienced, and like doesn't get pleasure out of figuring out expected value and like probability percentages and stuff like that, that they'll just be like, oh, "It's probably fine." They roll it and they get like a six. Triple and an eight. what they need. Yeah, exactly. On a, on a six-sided die and eight-sided die, and you're like, oh, oh okay, <laughs> like, you did it, <laughs> cool. <laughs> and I think that you know, randomization is interesting in games because there's a lot of circumstances in which I feel like it pollutes the experience because you feel like you're you're not really responsible for how things go. But I think there's also a lot of times where it it can give you this sense of of more equality you know where you kind of like uh try your best given what you know and then sometimes it doesn't matter like you can you can be as like obsessive and perfect as you want but in the end you, you just you won't do well if you just get bad luck you know or vice versa well
0: and I'm, as i was listening to the shut up and sit down podcast that actually came up uh matt was talking and he was basically saying well i feel like when people are saying they don't like randomness in games, they're they're m- kind of missing the point. I think randomness in games is always a good thing, but it's a matter of how it's implemented. So if you don't like randomness in games, you probably just don't like the way the randomness was implemented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's, there's always room in games. I mean, it's going to make it more replayable no matter what, if there's some amount of randomness. Yeah. And then, like you said, it's really nice in games where even if someone's played less, they can still win because of some random element. Those mm-hmm. moments are really nice in board games for me.
1: Yeah, and I think it's actually kind of interesting, um, which, you know, I mean, I'll do a nice little segue here. The idea of, of what what is the value of an experience that you're trying to win versus an experience that you're trying to just, you know, have experience. Because um, we, we um, were, were showing our interactive film at this um gamer conference one time and our there's no way to win our our thing. But someone who's like a hardcore, like love bullet held two D shooters, you know, came over to our booth and looked at it for 30 seconds like they like they were like a deer in headlights and they were like, How do I beat this? And we were like, Uh you experience a story? <laughs> yeah. And they were like, Not for me. And they walked away. And well it's like if someone was like <laughs>
0: so how do i how do i beat this uh the office thing
1: right and you're like uh you you don't you watch it and dwight is dumb <laughs> but you don't win but anyway so there's there's uh a lot of new games like florence and uh captain spirit and stuff like that that it's not about quote unquote winning them you know it's about going on a journey But before we dive into the world of video games, I think it's time for a
0: jingle. That's true. Let's do it. Pizza in the trunk. I got pizza in the trunk. What? what? Pizza in the trunk. 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 I got pizza in the
1: trunk. Pizza.
0: Yes. Indeed. Pizza. It's like the safari without the rhino. It's like the suburban dinner party without the wino.
1: Slam. It's like the wino without the drinking. It's like the child without the thinking.
0: It's like the thinking without the puzzle. It's like the dog without the muzzle. We
1: dongled video goms. So, as we were saying, uh, we, we recently played this game called The Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit, which is Don't Nod's next game after making the original Life is Strange. Uh, in that world where you are playing as this is a, a free standalone episode. We are playing as this kind of young boy, 10 year old boy ten-year-old named boy. Chris. Yeah. And he's, and he's uh, just kind of on that cusp of childhood and adulthood. And a lot of that is because, you know, his family just survived something kind of intense and, there's still he's got kind of like a foot in both worlds where he loves that kind of creative childlike innocent wonder feeling of being young while he's you know needing to come face to face with some of the flaws in his dad and also some of the the like accepting the tragedy around what happened to his mom and stuff like that and it's a really it's a really fascinating little experience so i don't know if you want to share a bit more about what what it was to you
0: well, and I mean, well, the other piece of info here is that uh, Chris is the... he. So, like, that's the adult part of it, but there's also the kid part of it. So, it's, like, it's Saturday morning, you're trying to kill time by yourself, and you kind of have, like, the... You're, like, really into superheroes. Yeah. So, you kind of... Some of the game is, the like, those really cool moments where you're, like, going around the house doing kind of basic things, but then in your head you make them, like... A superpower. Yeah. So you hear you hear Chris, you know how you do the like Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it's like he all he did was you know, hit the garage door opener. Hit the garage door opener, but he was like pretending like he was a Yeah. So there's really cool little moments like that. Um I'd say another thing to emphasize, and this is a thing that the Life is Strange series in general as a whole have super nailed is like soundtrack stuff. Mm-hmm. So the The game uses a Sofyan Stevens song that um, is just insanely beautiful. Yeah. And whenever it kicks in are the moments when I ended up feeling the most in the episode. Yeah. But also, I mean, in general, Life is Strange, a thing that I'm really glad it lets you do, whether it's Life is Strange, Before the Storm, or, you know, this game, they have the moments where you can just kind of, like, sit and look around the world. Because mm. their world is so pretty it's got that like dreamlike quality this the game even this one looks really good like the graphics are just like a nice upgrade but it's just really nice to just sit there and have like nice music pour over you and just kind of like take things in yeah because those moments are so real
1: well and, and the other thing is that you know all of the characters in the game are dealing with some pretty intense distress anxiety trauma even sometimes and the the idea that a game is giving not only you as the player, but also these characters a moment to just like turn off for a second, like basically meditate, you know, take a few breaths, slow down their, their minds, you know, not, not be so like all adrenaline, all intensity all the time. Um, It's, it's something that, you know, games typically don't do. And especially for a game that, that routinely touches on so many heavy, subject areas and like deals with stuff that's so stressful and sad that it gives again both the characters and the players a chance to just pause for a sec that's that's such a brilliant choice on their part and i'd say there are some things
0: that are insanely successful about the adventures of captains the awesome adventures of captain spirit because it's definitely when it has those like moments of subtlety they really stand out yeah and they they feel really impactful and Mm -hmm. i think it's definitely true that life is strange the first one had this amazing story arc and everything but part of what made it so awesome were like little moments along the way and in particular before the storm had i feel like a lot of those we talked about this morning was like those visual images you can't get out of your head yeah where you just kind of see them randomly out of nowhere and you're like i guess i'm still thinking about that yeah um so there were a couple of those in Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit. It's shorter than the episodes of Life is Strange typically are. Mm-hmm. But it was free. Yeah. Um, and for a free thing, I think it's pretty spectacular. But again, the the issue when it's by the people who did Life is Strange is inherently I'm kind of like... Oh, but, you know, I don't know. This is, <laughs> I was talking to Ben about this because we were chatting after we had played it. And was, there's just something where because it's a 10 year old boy, I'm just slightly less invested than I would be if I was dealing with teenagers. Cause the life is strange universe is typically like Angst. high school years, teenagers, <laughs> like a lot of feelings and stuff like that. But I've, I feel like I miss, I miss that. I don't know. Kids, for some reason, kids, I just kind of bounce off a little more.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that the way it's being set up is that it's a precursor to probably going back into that angsty teenage world. Yeah, So much. Yay. Um, but I think that it is it is interesting to look at the the choice of how how these characters in uh, Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit as a standalone are are functioning with one another and like the kind of tone that they're developing because it is uh, in a lot of ways pushing even further than Life is Strange ever has the kind of like contrast between the sad stuff and stuff that's less sad you know like I think that they try a number of times in life is strange and life is strange before the storm to create that tonal contrast um and they because they can push it so much farther into this like almost delusional childlike joy territory um that that you know dissonance is even stronger which is you know in some ways that's disorienting and confusing and maybe even flawed and in other ways it's actually like really powerful and really engaging to see someone who's so split you know um and and yeah i think i think it's it's like a really interesting choice on donad's part to to try to tell that story mm-hmm. because again like i agree i i engaged way more with max and chloe than i did with chris as characters um and at the same time you know i i don't think that there's a lot of certainly games that are this high profile that would try to touch on what it's like to grow up in an unstable home as a child you know and and i think that there's a lot of choices that they made to add nuance and complication to that story in a way that's not like either kind of making it melodramatic or making it you know, insensitive. It, it's got this kind of breadth of feeling. Both like you can you can start to convince yourself that things, even if they aren't perfect, they're really still good. And at the same time, you get this like sinking sense that something's just not going well here, mm-hmm. and that things can't end well. You know.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, similar to Life is Strange, there's some, like, gamey bits to it where you're, there's, like, puzzle mechanics in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were all generally pretty okay. The It it did a couple times where it was like, we're gonna do, like, number passcodes and then, like, little things like, you missed the door with the garage that had a lot of yeah. really cool stuff mm-hmm. in it. So, there's, like, that... There's, it still feels a bit gamey at times, but... Overall, I mean, I think it's pretty awesome for right. a thing. And, well, and right when we had finished it, we were talking about like how the Life is Strange games are for people who are new to gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were saying that you thought this this was an interesting thought about an entry point into the thing, just because the other Life is Strange and Before the Storm start out like somewhat intensely. Mm-hmm. And yes, those moments are moments that, You don't forget uh because it's you know it's a thing like you see rachel across the room and you know it's like you'll think about that forever but this one starts off a bit more like subdued it's not as like all out
1: intense scribbling with with colored pencils in your room you know like it's yeah it's a it's a very different feeling um and and yeah i mean it, it it circles back to what we started out saying with this segment the idea that you know there are some games that you win, and you know there is there is no winning the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit. You know it's just it's a it's a journey that you go on, and it gets you to this place where uh, by the end of it you feel like you've explored this this life this little slice of life, and and that's really special. Um, and it doesn't you know even the gamey parts of it they're not geared toward like do this and then if you do it well enough then you get something out of it like even if you don't check a couple of things or you can't solve some stupid number combo puzzle that doesn't stop you from being able to complete the story and have the the ending told to you you know and you can
0: pretty much end it whenever you want right also so that's that's always a good thing mm-hmm. i like i like having games that let you for the kind of people who are like I will find every last detail. Like let them do that, but also let the people who are like, "Can I just end the thing?" Like let let them end the thing. Mm-hmm. If they like, everyone should get what they want out of it.
1: Right. Which is very different than the game that we've been playing a lot recently called State of Decay Two, where Ooh. it's unlike Life is Strange. It's not about <laughs> going on a on a journey that you can end whenever you want. It's a constant stress fest of like watching your your whole world decaying and like struggling to keep it held together in the face of stuff that just is tearing it apart so as a as a state of decay pitch yeah it's it's again like
0: i said it sounds like it would be not good (laughs) because i i just like the rest of the world are like pretty over the zombie thing i am too like i don't think it's very fun i never particularly liked it and then there happen to be a couple games that I really, really like, whether it's, you know, Dead of Winter is a board game, Last of Us or State of Decay 2 is video games that they're just fun and they happen to have zombies in them, <laughs> but it doesn't really matter that they're zombies because right. it's more about the thing that you're doing.
1: Yeah, so so State of Decay actually does something that's really fascinating. And in fact, I think one of the closest parallels that you can draw to it is Dead of Winter. You know, it's that, you know, the there's, there's the kind of, one one version of uh the way that zombies are presented where it's sort of like this get out of jail free card to basically kill stuff however you want for as long as you want. And there's a lot of games out there. Christina was just telling us that she she had a lot of fun playing like Call of Duty killing zombie mode, um which I don't I don't particularly enjoy. Got nothing out of that. <laughs> um I mean, I did my stint in Left for Dead, but it's uh, even that's like a game about running away. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's more about kind of like moving from place to place and surviving um, rather than just killing everything. But it's still basically about killing everything. Yeah. And then there are games like Telltale's The Walking Dead, where it's kind of like the story of of people in a zombie apocalypse. And I'd say even Last of Us to a certain extent is really trying to look at more how people. Change when they're in intense situations. Like you can look at Last of Us as a exploration of trauma, like we talked about on another episode. Um, and the state of decay, state of decay is not that. Is not that you know. State of decay is this well, new thing. Before
0: we get too far into it, yeah, I think just an important thing to say up front is you can play with
1: up to four people cooperatively. Cooperatively, and if you play alone, it's terrible. Yes. So, so it is, it is really brought to life by, by the ways that it uses cooperative uh, mechanics. mechanics. One, so the, the essential experience of the game is that you're in a zombie apocalypse and rather than either like dealing with the horrors of what happens to human beings when they're in intense situations or going on a joy of like feeling like you can kill stuff all day long. It's really a game about like basically running out of food. You know, it's like... <laughs> You're constantly in a situation where your people need supplies in order to survive. And like when you're when you're in some like small if you're if you hold up in a house for a bit, that's gonna be less well defended than if you can like take over an old auto lot that has nice fences and walls and stuff, or even move into like a church that has a bell tower that you can shoot down from or whatever. But, well, and that's and that's the you know the the closest game
0: to this that we kind of like that has that similar like you need to collect stuff to survive. We really liked a game called The Flame and the Flood.
1: Yeah, um, which I don't
0: know if we've talked about. I don't know if
1: we have either. Um, anyway. Flame of the Flood is is also a game that you're just getting sur- supplies in order to survive and you have event. limited space in your backpack. So, yeah. We
0: jokingly call it inventory management simulator cuz it involves a lot of going <laughs> into menus and choosing exactly what you want to take, which state of decay gets around in a clever way using cars. Mm-hmm. Um, but bef- yeah. There certain certain games like that feel rough because you start doing it and it's kind of like survive as long as you can. Right. And we don't like those kind of games, but yeah. we really like the kind where if there's some element of that and it feels right, but then also there's like clear objectives mm-hmm. so that the game can end. Yeah, like, so it's nice to be able to finish these games because otherwise you'd just be doing an infinite feedback loop forever.
1: Yeah, and, and like I don't know about you, I've never been interested in kind of like arcade style games where you get a score and they no, try to beat your score. Never. That's just not engaging, and that's how I mean that's how games started. Video games, at least, it was in in little. Little big big clunky boxes <laughs> of moving around joysticks and getting a score and then you know posting that and then having other people in the arcade try to beat you and that that sounds horrible. Well, that's <laughs> like, that's that's still I mean
0: that's still alive and kicking. Of course, like you got like Binding of Isaac kinds of games. Totally.
1: Well, even even a lot of the like Fortnite or or yeah, kind of like you do it for the shooters. glory of having beaten ninety nine other people or right. whatever. Which is I find that totally. we don't care yeah but what's cool about state decay is that it it is this decay but it's not decay that you can't overcome you know like if if you really put in the effort you can get ahead of of this like constant entropy and and start to stabilize yourself you know and uh and that requires a lot of kind of guidance you can't like run on autopilot and just like uh, there was some stat, I don't know how valid it is, but basically people don't generally survive very long when they're playing State of Decay. And what it seems like is that it's mostly people who go in and they they try to have it as this fun time with their friends where they can just basically be playing Grand Theft Auto with zombies and they go around like hopping a car with their friends, start running over zombies, having a great time, jumping out, shooting everything. And And the bottom line is that like you start making a lot of noise. You're running low on gasoline. Like, you you don't have enough uh, food at home or medicine. So people start starting fights and becoming filled with unrest. And things start collapsing, you know? Yeah. And it really does require a lot more focus on, like, we're not here to kill stuff. We're here to just, like, drive to this, this abandoned clinic, like, uh, a few hundred meters down the road. Jump out. Clear out zombies as quietly as you can. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. Get get some medicine, get out of there and get home so that the people who need medicine can have
0: it. Well, that's the thing is like, once you're really feeling the game, you're like, all right, I want to go out and loot. I want to get tools because I need tools because I want to build a better infirmary. Yeah. And then you're out there and then the zombies come in. You're like, oh, God, zombies are here. Right. like they're they're not a thing that's like fun to kill. They're a thing that like you have to kill. Right, and, at and same it's not time, unfun. It's, right, because it's it's not hard. Right. which is I think critical for me. If, Agreed. And and initially when we started playing this game, I was like, I'm gonna play the game and like not hit a single zombie. But then that was really hard. Yeah, well, and then I found out that all I really had to do was click at them, and then I was like, oh okay, I can get behind this because there's a bit more to it than that in terms of, like, tactics and stuff, and you definitely
1: saved my butt a bunch of times, yeah. but... Um, well, to, to put on my pretentious emergent narrative design hat, the the, the idea was that you were a character who, who entered into this apocalypse situation, and they were like, I I will not kill stuff. Like, I'm not a killer. I have to... Like, I'll, I'll go around with this, like, crazy, gun-slinging But only because I need person. the supplies. Yeah, but only because I need the supplies. And then on that run, or a couple runs in or whatever... the the military person you were just like overrun yeah there's just too many zombies and you found yourself up against the wall with with a zombie running at you and you just had a baseball bat so you hit it in the head you know and like that you kind of went from being someone who never thought you would hurt anyone to like you still had your line you still wouldn't like shoot zombies really but it was much more like if i if i'm in a spot where i need to to protect myself i'll do it you know yeah and then by the end, you had some characters because I think that, like again, once you get kind of a, a feel for the mechanics, you can start having a little bit more fun with it. So you you started having characters that were a little bit more, we called one the ledge. He was a legend, Greg. Well, well the, I mean, the, the reason <laughs> that Jumping a police guard, doing it,
0: donuts on zombies. <laughs> you talk about emergent narrative design. The reason Greg the ledge is so awesome is because Greg became the ledge because uh, there were like a ton of zombies around him. And then Ben was like just shooting them down, but they were pretty much timed with
1: how I swung at them. Yeah, I would like get a headshot right as you were about to swing at their head, and then you'd like whiff over. I'd where be like, their head "Did you see be. that?
0: I totally took out all those zombies!"
1: Like and so it's the, the legend of Greg. <laughs> and Greg, it got to his head, so he started he started thinking that he was in, in, invincible, and, and then he hopped in a police car and started blaring the siren, and zombies started coming from everywhere. And they're like, "Greg, stop! What you do doing, away. Greg?" And then I was like, "I'm doing donuts," <laughs> and then. I bailed from the car and ran into the house to try to protect myself. Yeah. Or you had all the zombies trying to crawl onto your car. I killed them all. Donuts. Greg loves donuts. So that's what Stated K is like. Um, and to take a, a a breather, a life is strange pause moment, if you will.
0: Well, we want to go. We want to go like back and <laughs> forth because I think if we had all of the games that were like these aren't games you win; they're nice narrative experiences. If we did all those up front and then at the back, we were like. Here are a bunch of games where you kill zombies. You do donuts like... so for the police?
1: siren <laughs> present.
0: <laughs> so, now to go back to the like nice story world, let's talk about a game called
1: Florence. So, speaking of story world, I think it's really interesting around Florence because, in traditional a traditional sense, there really isn't uh, a lot of typical uses of story, you know, storytelling. Um, I think a lot of games these days tend to steal a lot from film and try to tell characters they try
0: to they try to emulate the world of film yeah
1: with dialogue and and uh scenes you know beautiful camera movements and environments and they try to make something that feels like it could be a tv show or whatever Um, like the best compliment you could give a game
0: for most game directors i feel like be like oh yeah it felt like a movie yeah and then they'd be like yes
1: i nailed it (laughs) But Florence, they they were not trying to do that. So Florence is basically an iOS game where you're playing through a relationship, and from from the perspective of the girl, which is nice, um, and both of the people are people of color, so that's nice that it's inclusive. Um, but the I mean the big thing from a mechanics perspective is that it is all its mechanics. Like every every moment of it needs some kind of player interaction, and the kinds of interactions we're talking about are very simple and very symbolic.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and again, really quickly, due to the crane shot before we get into the details. So, it's a iOS game as we had mentioned. So you can play it on your iPhone or iPad. It's by the person who did Monument Valley, which a lot of people heralded as it was a kind of puzzle game that was for non gamers. Mm-hmm. And th- again, Florence is the kind of thing where I think it's like two bucks in the App three Store. Bucks, yeah. Three bucks it's it's not super long it's it really nice playthrough but it is it's the kind of thing where you don't like i would not i don't think there's any kind of qualifier i could put on you what who you are for playing this game like, oh yeah anyone can play this game and, I think, find something out of it mm-hmm. um especially since it does it nails being relatable so well mm-hmm. but yeah it's the the way we talk about mechanics with it is like it does storytelling through its mechanics um which is really cool whether and i don't want to spoil what they are because i think they're really neat but it's needless to say you know you might look at a screen like try to click something and then within
1: five seconds you figure out what you're supposed to do there and then yeah. figure it out well i think it's not a huge spoiler to talk about just as an example the the first date because i think that's a really good example of, of narrative through mechanics and it's like most distilled form mm-hmm. so kind of uh people generally have experiences where they go on dates with people and a lot of the time it starts super awkward yeah, and you don't really specifically you don't really know how to how to say words like it's it's hard to form your thoughts in a way that makes you feel comfortable speaking because you have so many layers of like voices in your head that are going off all at the same time and uh, the way that Florence explores that is that in order, to quote unquote, talk, and again, there's no words, there's no dialogue or anything, but it's just like you see these two D animated characters um, have these little bubbles that come out of there, their and speech bubbles, and, speech bubbles. Um, and to to like say a thought, you you're kind of literally piecing together what you're trying to say using puzzle pieces, right? So uh, at first you're just you know swiping and dragging puzzle pieces in like a an, a two by four grid where there's like uh eight pieces that are all that all have to fit together and you're trying to like slowly drag them around and you're like oh that one doesn't quite fit and it's not a hard puzzle you know mm-hmm. there's only like a couple of combinations that you can try you do the corners first um <laughs> but but the idea is that you it, it it takes a little bit of effort to try to put a thought together literally and then and then as as the conversation goes on as the date goes on as the night goes on stuff starts coming out more easily so there's fewer pieces in each puzzle so you go from like a two by four puzzle with eight pieces to a two by three puzzle with six pieces you know and then you end up with four pieces and then you end up with two pieces or three pieces and then two pieces and then suddenly like you're dragging a full speech bubble in because it's just like you feel more comfortable with the person it takes less effort to put a thought together
0: and the the game simulates going through one particular relationship and I think the thing to take note of with that is that, like, it's a relationship, so the first date goes well. So, like, this, it's not a relatable first date where it, like, remains kind of awkward, and then you say goodbye and never see each other again. Right. It's the kind of one where it clicks. Right. So that's why, like, things finding it easier to say makes a lot of sense, because we've been on those dates before where it's, like, at first it seems, like, very weird and awkward, and then you find out you're, like, oh, this person's awesome, and then you you, like, you turn off. And then you just, you're there. You're comfortable. And then it's easy. Totally. And that's the best. And And I think that like seeing that and then like doing
1: that with your fingers as, as the storytelling is a really cool thing. Totally. It's unlike, again, unlike any movie, TV show, whatever that tries to explore relationships. And another reason that it's great that they, you know, have a story where things hit it off so fast is again, that it's able to tell a huge amount of, of this young girl's journey into coming into herself as a person um, in an hour, you know, like it doesn't take hours and hours and hours to go through a whole epic rise and fall or whatever, any, any relationship it's, it's more so like you just, you just sit down one session and click on stuff with your, like move stuff around with your finger for a bit and then it's done, you know? And And again, that's one of the reasons that I think it's so easy to recommend Florence to people is that, you know, it's, it's fast, it's cheap and it's very affecting. And it's also, it it could only exist as a game, Yeah. you know? Also, I mean, think like things I
0: have to say, the soundtrack's really Mm freaking gorgeous. Yeah. It takes advantage of a thing that, um, I can think of the corollary in musical improv too, where sometimes you heighten by taking away. So like, um, in if in, in musical improv, if your like big final last chorus is whispered instead, that can be just as affecting as the that one being the biggest. If if you're like doing it with a reason,
1: yeah.
0: Um. So the game uses color in that kind of way, yeah. where it's very sparing. It uses it when it wants to use it, and then when it's there, it it's matters to you. Yeah. Um. Which is really really cool. Um. And then, yeah. It's it's just awesome, and I think the I think the easiest thing to feel when playing it is just like it's that it's relatable yeah like i think for a lot of people it's gonna be you're gonna feel like this game is 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 telling a story that you could be in Mm -hmm. which i think is a really cool thing that you know with all the high fantasy stuff of normal video games you don't see that a lot but i feel like this gets there
1: totally and and that it's it's nice that it's relatable and it's also accessible Mm -hmm. because again even even something like life is strange which i think you know we've talked about how well they nail human relationship stuff also it still has you know even not only talking about puzzles and stuff you still have to navigate in a 3d space with a character and 3d camera controls is usually like
0: pretty disoriented the hardest level of i'm a new gamer let me try playing games for the first time oh
1: no why can't i just go forward right and and like (laughs) There's all this frustration where you're like the camera's up against a wall and the character you like can't figure out how to move and all you want to do is like have the story be told to you, but you can't because there's all this like layer of awkwardness that you're not familiar with with a control scheme. And Florence is just you hit the arrow that points to the right, you like, touch it with your your finger and then it keeps going. you know like it's it's so easy to get through. And then also when it repeats, it's like
0: very simple puzzles that have story reasons. You know how to do them, but they, it also like makes
1: sense that they're repeating them then. Yeah. And it adds something new. It's that's really cool. Because again, you don't you don't win Florence. Yeah. You just experience it. It's true. Um, so to pivot again. <laughs> to winning. <laughs> to winning. There's a game that's obsessively about winning or losing based on finally tuning an engine. Uh, called Slay the Spire, which we oh, I mean, mentioned before, but I thought we could dive into a bit more.
0: Yeah, I, I think I had mentioned it before back when... So it's a game that's still in early access, so they're like sharing it with the world because it's done enough is generally the like gist of early access, and then when more people are playing your early build, you charge a bit less for it, but then also you get feedback from people having played it. But Slay the Spire is it's one of the like top 10 or top 50 highest selling games for 2018 already yeah um just because it's so good yeah and um back when i talked about it before the and just to recap it's a game where uh it takes advantage of what's called a roguelike which basically means that there's a bunch of randomization so levels are randomized whatever enemies you face are randomized but the the general structure is the same so like It's a game where you have a deck of cards, each turn you draw five of them, you can play basically up to three of them. And then when you're done with that, you discard the rest, draw your new hand, just like you would in a game like Dominion. And just like you would in a game like Dominion, you can add cards to your deck, but only after you beat an enemy in combat. So whenever you beat an enemy, you have an option of three cards, you can either choose not to add any to your deck, because you don't want any of them, or you can add one. Um, and then there's this really cool power creep of like, I feel like I can't beat anything. I feel like I struggled on a basic enemy. Oh my God, I got the card that's going to change my life. Like, right. I got the lightning card. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's so cool in that they the systems are, are so tight and amazing and it's very well designed. But I think, and I, Tom Francis wrote a piece on rock, paper, shotgun about this of like how the game succeeds because it's so understandable even if there, it seems like there are a lot of layers going on, for the most part, it's a game that's very understandable because any status you have, even if you're learning about it for the first time, it has the same notation. So, like, if you have Poison 1, that means the Poison is applied for one turn. If you have Weak 2, that means Weak is applied for two turns. So, like, once you find out what Weak and Poison mean you know like how long they're going to be there and then the ma- it makes the math
1: really simple. Yeah. So so I think that, you know, at its at its simplest, it's a game in which you're uh kind of going on a step-by-step journey of finally tuning a math engine, you know, like of of figuring out a deck, how though. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's less it's I mean, even if it's somewhat
0: mechanical, it is like it's that same joy, that same fun you get from like having that really nice magic deck or like it, it really, really, it delivers better than most card games on that. Like you build a thing, you get to see how your engine plays out. Um, it delivers really well on that.
1: And, and I think another thing that makes it really nice is that it puts it in an extremely well-designed UI. So like, The way that again you get information on what these things do, the way that you understand what uh, your you know what the puzzle of that moment is, because it's basically like a series of puzzles where you have five options to figure out what you do given your situation that you're in. Like what what's the enemy about to do? What's my status is right now? How do I best use these cards that are in front of me? Right. As well as how do I change the? So you're not overwhelmed with choice ever.
0: No. Because at the same time you have a hand of five cards and you're gonna be able to play three of them. So yeah. like,
1: do the best you can. Do the best you can. Um, and, and the fact that it is like very clean, very simple, and again, it's it's that you know really hard to pull off, easy to learn, hard to master thing. Where once you get a sense of those basics of like, oh, what does weak do again? Then you're you're familiar with, with the situations you can find yourself in, and then that gets into the really interesting stuff where it's like, oh man, do I want to get this really nice card that, that I could change my whole deck around for the the third dungeon that I'm about to go into? Or is it too late in the game and it's actually better to just pay to remove a card from my deck so that it becomes more pure and I can get access to the stuff that I, I want more frequently?
0: And that, And there's this really beautiful thing too about it where we talked a bit about randomness in games, and I think it's pretty f- fair to like make corollaries between this and board games. Um, the The way it uses randomness is awesome because enemies, you always know what they're gonna do. Mm-hmm. So you all you have perfect information, and it's just about picking what you think is best. The randomness comes from what cards you draw. Right. So, and and that's good because it's limiting your options. So you're like each turn, you're trying to adapt to the best thing possible. You might have a long-term plan, but only because you know what's in your deck. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know you have a bunch of cards that double poison on an enemy. Then I know that my goal is going to be to survive while I poison my enemy. And then once it has, like, some amount of poison on it, I'll double it. And then it'll be way bigger. Yeah. So, like, the randomness is very thought out and careful so that none of it's ever overwhelming. And it doesn't, never feels fair. It never feels unfair okay. either. Yeah. Because you know what the enemy's going to do.
1: So you just have to react the best you can right and and it's and it's short form you know like any individual round of it takes i don't know four minutes oh yeah
0: playing a battle is really quick and then even a run only takes max like an hour and a half yeah if, um, if you're being really thoughtful so and you'll die most of the time and that's totally <laughs> fine and that's one of the cool things about it because then when you do slay the spire it feels really Re- rewarding nice.
1: yeah and it, and it gets back to you know if you look at games like Dark Souls, games like Slay of the Spire that use death as a mechanic where you're, you know, you're in a situation where something didn't work and you you come face to face with the fact that you just put a lot of time and effort into something that failed, it is this like deep question of like, can you approach a situation where you failed and then take a step back, not like lose yourself in that failure, but just say like, okay, how, let me really take a close look at what went wrong and how I can do better. And, and that's a weird headspace to get yourself into for some people. And at the same time, it's also a headspace that's so important for so many parts of life where there, there's a lot of times when stuff will just happen and, and things won't work out. And it's a good, it's a good kind of pattern of behavior to get into where even if you can't come up with, a clear answer to just be able to take a step back and reflect and say, all right, let me think about what just happened. Let me process it. Let me try to understand it. And if possible, take away a lesson that I can use when I try this again, you know? Yeah.
0: And, and yeah, I, I agree. And I think for, for that reason, and then also the way it's formatted, I think it's really easy to recommend also just because, so even if you're not a video game person, but you like, so if you like kind of like crunchy euro games or like anything like that i think the numbers and the puzzle will be really appealing and then at that point it's just like a
1: really nice ux on top of it mm-hmm. um, and, and it's that not, ux is not graphically intensive you don't need some like crazy no. computer to run it you can run it on basically anything yeah and but then also if
0: you're like either the card nerd or like a video game person you'll understand things really immediately you'll want to build that engine and especially if you're, like, a card game person. So, like, I, got, I showed this to my brother, and he was like, I never play games on my computer. And then he bought it immediately because he was <laughs> like, this is really cool. Yeah. They've got the levels of, like, this... If you try to build this type of deck, it's, like, pretty straightforward. And they have three different types of play, characters you play as. The third one gets kind of, like, heady and whoa. But, again, it like, if you, don't, if you don't need that. It's not, it, you don't have to play with it, but if you want to try the like harder version to play the robot, then you totally can.
1: Well, and I think that one thing that I really appreciate about Set Aspire is it's one of the best examples that I can think of, of designers who got extremely creative with their mechanics. You mm-hmm. know, there's like so many layers of, of giving people options for experimentation and not, you know, balancing it such that there is no right answer, yeah. you know there's just like a lot of different ways to solve the same puzzle and and that the experience of one pattern of cards that work well together versus another pattern is very different you know and it's and you do have that kind of
0: curiosity because you might be building one particular you might build a deck that's like very good at one thing and then you win with that and then you're like, okay, that was really good but then you saw a couple cards on it around where you were like I it'd be cool to try a, this deck. Yeah. Yeah. I want to try a deck about discarding cards. Like there's, there are all these things you do it while you're doing it and you're like, Oh, I want to try this now. Right. And, and all of them work. And I think that's, that's kind of the subtle genius of the game is that at the end of the day, you can make a really pure deck and then do really well with that. But you can also do really well with making a deck that's versatile mm-hmm. and just like lets you react to a bunch of different stuff. So there are really just so many different
1: ways to win. hmm and that's yet another example of a game that you're trying to win. An example of a game that you're not really trying to win, even if it requires some kind of building towards an objective, is something called Yonder, which oh. you've been playing recently. It's so, it's so lovely.
0: <laughs> it's just so lovely. So it's, what is Yonder? Um, the, if, I was being, if I was trying to be as quick as possible, I would say it's 3D Stardew Valley. Right. Um which if you don't know what that is, this won't help you. Then what, I would you'll... say it's kind of like a 3D bigger world version of Harvest Moon. Right. If that doesn't saying, help you, yeah. then I'll just explain that it's a game where <laughs> you can have like farms and have animals on your farm and grow things like blueberries and then you you know like you you charm an animal into staying in your farm and then it provides you with products and It poops everywhere. It poops everywhere and you have to clean up the poop. And (laughs) it's a game inherently where, you know, you get these like resources and things and then you build stuff and like try to make the world a better thing. So, um, you know, if you have, you like chop down these things, then you get seeds and then you can plant trees as you go along. So whenever you see a place where a tree could belong, you plant a tree and then the world is happier for having done that. And you know, there's a bunch of people you can talk to, who have things they want you to do, whether it's like there's a woman who wants to grow a beard or, you know, <laughs> the person who, you know, their their cats keep getting eaten.
1: No, they don't get eaten. The dog keeps scaring them away. That's true. And then you, and then you, you go make them a cat the doll. And yeah, you, you go and craft a, a, a doll shaped like a cat for the dog to play with a toy. Yeah. And then you go and try to find all the cats from the cat lady. Yes. So our friend Quinn likes this word a lot. And I think it's, like, so, so good for describing this game, which is, it's just wholesome. It's just a game that's about, like, wandering around a world, collecting sticks and rocks, using them to, like, piece together cute things that you use to get animals to follow you around. And it's just, like, it's, it's purely sweet, while it also has a lot of, like... Uh, layers of of crafting and uh some some levels of of like go get me this many of this thing and you wander around and find it and you bring it back and get a reward and then you also get into guilds and the guilds let you build more stuff and
0: you know it has well, it's, the, it's the kind of game where there's no fighting right it's not a game about executing it's a game about doing whatever you want it's less stressful in a way than Stardew Valley 2 because there aren't like daytimes and your season cycles of like what you can plant and stuff aren't as intense so it's kind of like do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it
1: and and i feel like we've we've touched on this before and not really dug into it as much as we could have which is the idea of of games that you like playing while listening to music yeah yonder is a big one for that
0: yeah and that's and i i i call them games that i can like turn off while turning on. So it's like, I have a thing to do and I like that it keeps me occupied, but for the most part, I'm just tuning out. So, and I love a game where, because of what I'm doing is so mechanical, I leave like game sounds on, but I turn game music off and then mm-hmm. I can listen to whatever I want to listen to. And then also hear like the nice rain in the game um, or like the, like the way the animals move when I walk past them. <laughs> uh, but then I, inherently I'm still just get to listen to the music I want to listen to. So it's an excuse to listen to music while not while being a bit more active than you know me just sitting there and listening to music um so
1: it's it's a really neat thing to have a a reason to do that mm-hmm. yeah definitely and uh and there's a lot of games like that that you've tried um for different reasons that that give you that space and and i think that tonally again yonder has something that's pretty distinctive like it's it's creating an atmosphere that's so warm and vibrant and friendly and like that that lends itself to a certain kind of of mood in a way that a game like burnout wouldn't you know and and the character models are so nice (laughs) and and i
0: mean a lot it's a it's a game that's great it like it knows what it's there for so like Pretty much, there's no rewards in the game for, like, collecting stuff other than, like, outfits, really. Right. So, like, you can go around. and So, I remember when I found all the, all the My Lost crew, I was shouting to the apartment that, I look like a sailor now. <laughs> and everyone was like, cool, Brian. And I was like, this is nice. Uh, it's, I think, uh, I forget which of the podcasts I was listening to, but they were talking about how the fact that um, a lot of times games try to do fight or flight. Whereas there's a huge audience of potential gamers who are looking for a tend and befriend atmosphere, which is the idea that like people would don't want to have that stress induced on them. They'd rather like have a thing to do to like tend to whether it's like a garden or something like that. That's like a very tangible thing, and then just like befriend people in your town, and it's so lovely. It's just so nice. Mm-hmm. And oh my god. The other thing I think it does really nicely is that it's kind of it's got some of the like Zelda world design stuff where you you kind of you're know, like you see a thing over in the distance and you're like I want to go to there and then you just walk there, yeah, um, which is really cool. And then also when you fall off a tall ledge, there's that, <laughs> not like falling damage or anything. You you have uh, an, an umbrella. umbrella that's a rainbow, and then you like <laughs> slowly fall down, and it's so. Beautiful.
1: Well, it's it's interesting because uh, you know, as someone who's sort of a drama nerd, I can understand the fight or flight uh engagement factor a lot more than I can understand the tendon befriend engagement. Because, you know part of what I love about games that are more fight or flight is that it's this conflict where I feel like I need to intercede and do something to resolve some tension that's going on. Um, and It sounds like these games that are more in the world of, you know, farming and dating simulators and all sorts of stuff like that, visual novels, that it is this like interesting atmosphere of, you know, you're you're finding ways to kind of gently maintain something and like slowly build something and nurture it, you know, in a way that's like there's still there's still a certain element of of progression you're not totally aimless wandering around an empty world for no reason Um, and at the same time there isn't this like ticking clock there isn't this stress and intensity it's just a nice thing that you can do and like be in a place where you're slowly nurturing something yeah
0: that's i think that's the key is that it's that idea of like there's no pressure it is really like it's and it's the it's the combination of no pressure that you're it's it's the, it's a subtle difference, but a huge one. Where your task list doesn't feel like a list of things that you need to accomplish, it's a bunch of things that
1: are potential for direction. Yeah.
0: Um, and I like I hate sandbox games because I need a bit more direction than what they offer. But if and and and, the, and then these games are somewhat hard for me to find also because it's there's a fine line between feeling like you need to complete something and then just feeling compelled to pick this one thing as your task and then decide that you're doing it
1: right well i actually one one sort of example of that is the way that you pick quote-unquote picker quests where you just pull up a menu and you kind of hold up a stone that's really colorful and pretty and then you you choose a thing that you're gonna gonna try to do and then you just follow that you know
0: yeah
1: and it's and it's the sense of like here's a list of all the things that i could do if i wanted and if i don't want to do any of them i don't have to but if i want to do this one i'll just do this one and then you go do it and i mean even beyond that i mean that
0: it's so it was so compelling for me to do the like i just want to walk around the world bit that i wasn't even doing quests most of the time i if i saw someone offering a quest i would go talk to them but for the most part i was just like I want to see what the coastline looks
1: down here. Right. And, and then I would say that. To. Discovery too, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they do a nice job also of like you go to a place, you find a fast travel station or whatever that lets you uh, have more of the world to access or like a point of interest that you find by walking past it or whatever. And again, it's never like I need to do this. It's just, oh, I'm in the area. I just stumbled on this thing and now I have it. Yeah. So if
0: you either... Had heard if you yeah if you're looking for a thing like that that's just,
1: wholesome. so
0: wholesome and lovely.
1: <laughs> yonder might be it. Ponder. Ponder the yonder wander.
0: Do it. <laughs> Fifteen. It's a number. And it's done. It's done. We can now move on to sixteen, both in the day and in the podcast. Night. Hooray. Goodbye.